Hi everyone and welcome to the show today. Really great to be with you all. I'm James Prescott, your host, and um, today I have another guest with me and it's a new guest today. Um, somebody I connected to recently and um, we just started talking and it just like... Yeah, we were just like so, so soul brother and sister. Like it was like yeah, finding someone new. Um, she's called Caroline McGraw. She is a writer and um, does a lot of um, creative work. And she's got a great story to share with us. So welcome, Caroline. Thank you, James. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Yeah, no, you're welcome. Um, so just tell us about, before we get into your story, just tell us a bit about what you do. Sure. I am a writer and speaker, and I like to tell people that I am a would-be childhood paleontologist who digs for treasure in people. And my mission is to help people let go and get past perfectionism and rise up real as they truly are. So my website is a wish come clear and the tagline is getting past perfect and rising up real. That's awesome. And it is a great website. I've already had a look at it. It's fantastic. And there's some great writing there and yeah, you know, you're doing some really great stuff. Um, yeah. So tell us a bit about your own story. Um, and kind of, you know, what got you where you were and the big events that have shaped your life, you know, um, Let's just hear about that. Yeah. <laughs> sure. It's really funny because last night I was thinking about this interview and mentally trying to prepare. And it was it was hilarious because I had listened to some of the other podcasts that you've done with some of my favorite writers like Rob Bell and Laura Parrott Perry. And it was so funny because I caught myself as I was brushing my teeth feeling so pressured of, oh my goodness, I have to get this right. Like I have to be able to tell my story really well. And it struck me as so funny in that moment that I was stressing out about not telling my own story perfectly. And Mm. it just seemed so ridiculous in that moment of like, wow, you know, of all the things you can't mess up, you know, mm-hmm. your own, your own story that you have lived. No one else has. You're the expert on it. You can't mess it up essentially. Um, and I thought that was kind of a fun place to start because I think my, my favorite thing to write about and speak about and read about is this idea of forgetting and remembering. So mm-hmm. I talk about in all of my writing, the plot line is basically, I forget what I know to be true. I forget that I'm safe and that I'm loved and I can't mess this up and I don't have to be perfect and there's no wrong way to tell my story. And I just forget what I know. And then life brings me back to remember what I know. And so I think of the spiritual journey as a process of remembering what we know deep down. Mm, and just waking that. up, waking up over and over and over, keep remembering. We keep forgetting, we keep remembering. And it it's not it's not that we're doing it wrong, it's that that's actually how it works. We forget and we remember. Forgetting we remember, yeah, we do. That's something that I think that's something that Rob Bell always talks about as well, is that we forget we forget who we really are. 
and mm-hmm. life is like really mm-hmm. about waking up to who we really are. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how did that all kind of happen for you? I mean, like, where did like what were the big what are the big challenges you faced like um, in your story? Um, the things you had to confront. Yeah. Yeah, I think the earliest one and the first one goes back to my very first memory. I was five years old, and I can remember being being in the waiting room of a, a doctor's clinic, and my mother came out, and she knelt down, and she hugged me, and she was crying. And being five years old and not understanding why is my mom so upset, what's going on, and I later learned that the place I remembered is um, a diagnostic center. And my younger brother, Willie, who is, he's two years younger than me, so he was three years old at the time. That was the day that he was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. And so that is something that people are much more familiar with now, that autism involves some communication challenges, um, neurological differences, and However, at the time, this is in, you know, let me do the mental math, 1990, autism was only occurring, you know, one in every 10,000 children in the U.S. was diagnosed. And now the rate Mm -hmm. is closer to one in 150. (laughs) So back then it was this big unknown. And I didn't understand why my brother was different and Mm -hmm. why our family was different. And my parents, you know, did a great job explaining that, you know, just because Willie's different, it doesn't mean, you know, that we're not okay. We're just going to love each other and Mm. he's just different and he just needs different things. Yeah. And so that was, on one hand, that was really challenging because it was something that immediately marked us out as different from other families. Yeah. And I felt self-conscious about it sometimes. But on the other hand, it was also this open door to my first spiritual belief, actually, because I have another vivid memory of lying in bed at night as a little girl and thinking about heaven, which is sort of bizarre because I had not been to church at that point. I didn't really have a God concept, but I had this idea that heaven would be a place where I could have a complete conversation with my younger brother, Willie, that I could ask him any question and he would give me a direct answer. And I wanted to ask him, you know, profound things like, you know, do you love me? Are you glad that we're family? Are you glad that we're brother and sister? But I also wanted to ask him really small things like, what's your favorite breakfast cereal? Do you really like Cheerios? You know, I just, I wanted to know everything about him. And Mm. That was my my fantasy essentially because because of his communication challenges in our in our real life I couldn't always get a direct answer. He had trouble answering questions that I would have for him. And so I thought there must be a place. There must be a place where Willie and I can talk and we can understand each other and there are no barriers between people. And the, the crazy and delightful thing about that is, you know, now I'm 32 and I look back and I think mm. that is probably my favorite definition of heaven that I've ever come across as a place where there are no barriers to the mm. love between people. I still yeah. believe that. I love that. I absolutely love that definition of heaven. 
That's what Thank you. Um, that's a whole different conversation about heaven. Like, I can mm-hmm. really get into a conversation about heaven. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether we're whether we should be having theological conversations. Well, this is a this is a podcast where we talk about these kind of questions. Like, maybe that's another one of those questions that we need to be asking. You know, what is heaven? What is yeah. hell? You know, like, you know, what do we believe about that? You know, and what do we believe the Bible says about that? Because um, yeah. I think that's a big question. Maybe I should have you back and we can talk about that. Question. <laughs> um, right. I think that would be a good idea. Um, mm. So how did you get into, in terms of um, writing and mm. creativity, how has that been a part of your life and how did that kind of, how did the writing kind of emerge as a big part of your life? Yeah. I mean, I knew I wanted to be a writer from the time I was in first grade. I was six years old and my teacher told us that we were going to make books, which this is before print on demand publishing and all of that. So this was really exciting. She had our, our papers, our pages bound into these little hardcover books. And I just thought this was the best thing I'd ever heard of. And I thought nothing could be cooler than this, making a book, you know, that is the life for me. And of course I wanted to do all the other things. I wanted to be a ballerina. I wanted to be a paleontologist. You know, I I went through all those phases, Mm. but writing was the one thing that always stayed constant and stayed, stayed a dream. And I also think looking back that being able to read so much and kind of escape into a book, like whenever I felt self-conscious or, you know, Willie was having a hard time or later when things got really stressful at home, I always felt like I, if I could be by myself and I could have a book, I could be safe. Like that was always a safe place for me. Mm. And I loved the idea of being able to create safe places for other people. And so that actually led to starting my blog, starting at wish come clear because I wanted it to be, a place where people felt nurtured and felt held. And the name of the blog comes from an expression that Willie uses because, so his favorite humor involves purposeful mistakes. So Mm. the cliche is it's a wish come true, right? But if you want to make Willie laugh, you would say like, Willie, how does that go? Is it a wish come purple? Is it a wish come green? is it a wish come clear? And he'll crack up laughing and he'll say, no, it's a wish come true. And so when I first started the blog, I was writing about being a caregiver for adults with special needs and all the things that they were teaching me about life and what really matters. Mm. And so I thought it made sense to name it after something that Willie created as a way of honoring him and his contribution. Mm. But eventually it became a blog about overcoming perfectionism and being less afraid of the mistakes in our own lives. And so I hadn't thought of that when it first began, you know, six years ago, but that's what it's evolved into. And I was, I was fascinated by this reflection that theologian Richard Rohr shared the idea of the Navajo rug and that in traditional craftsmanship, in the Native American traditions, oftentimes the artisans will put in a purposeful mistake 
in their weaving or in their artwork. And the idea with the purposeful mistake is that that's the place where spirit moves in and out of the fabric. It's supposed to be this portal, like this gateway. And so that just blew my mind wide open and I loved it so much. And I thought, oh my God, a wish come clear is a purposeful mistake. And it's, it's a place where people can connect and talk about how spirit moves in and out of their lives. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. I know. I just, that was like the best day when I read that. I was like, I want to tell everyone this. This is amazing. (laughs) So how has that evolved? What does that, what has that looked like in, in the writing that you've done? Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's, oh, where do you even start? It's gone so many places. And I think, I think what I've always loved to write about are what I call, or what Glennon, Glennon Doyle calls the Kairos moments. I know you've had her as a, a guest mm, on the podcast yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. So the awesome. moments where you kind of time stops and you step outside of your usual obsessions and fears and worries and you see something bigger than you and you, you remember, oh yeah, right. I'm loved. We're all loved. We're all okay. You know, we don't have to freak out and control everything we're part of something bigger and we're all connected. Right. Right. So I write about those moments on the blog. And I mean, I also write about the moments where I completely lose sight of that and struggle. And, you know, as an example, over the last couple of years, I've definitely felt like it was important to, to tell some of the stories that I had never shared before about So my childhood church growing up was, on one hand, it was very loving and I met some amazing people there and it was in many ways a very positive experience in my life. But in other ways, it was also very legalistic and very controlling. And I learned as an adult that it was actually a cult and, you know, troubling things like that. And so I started writing about this experience of the the baggage that comes with faith and the the part of me that kind of felt like I don't know how to explain it kind of felt like I got messed up a little bit by the church that I became very perfectionistic and very driven and a lot of that was influenced by my church and by my relationships and my family so kind of being honest about religion can can help and can heal people. And it can also really mess people up. And I found that that really, that really seemed to resonate with people that over and over I heard people saying, you know, me too, me too. And I think that makes a lot of sense because it's like, if you have, if you have a community, if you have a place where there's the potential for profound healing and grace and all these beautiful things, it's like, the shadow side of that is there's the potential for a lot of abuse and there's the potential for a lot of control. And, Mm. you know, if it's misused, it can go very wrong very quickly, Mm. but it's like, once we can acknowledge that, then there's also the open door to, to more healing. And I guess I'm not being perfectly articulate about this right now, but for me, it was like, I'll put it this way there was a time where I was like super Christian and I was like in Bible studies all the time. And I was just the A plus on fire, you know, the 
the real, like the one that all the grownups kind of pointed to and was like, wow, look at her faith and everything. And then I went through this period where I was like, I don't even want to look at a Bible. I don't even want to go anywhere near it. I don't, I don't, you know, want to go to church. This makes my skin crawl because I had, I had been so much in that, in that box and, you know, equated my performance with my worth and my value. And it started to feel so suffocating. And now it's, I've come sort of full circle in that I can, I can read passages from the Bible or I can listen to teachers who teach about scripture and I can love it and I can appreciate it and not get freaked out and get triggered by it anymore. Um, I know you and I were talking about how much we both love Rob Bell and love his work. Yeah. Um, and he's one of the people that I think has helped me a lot to feel like, oh, right. Okay. I don't have to be scared of the Christians anymore. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, he's been like a lifeline for me. Like, yeah. Um, uh, if I hadn't had Rob Bell, I would either be still a conservative Christian, still very narrow-minded faith, all about certainty, mm. or I would have left the church. Yeah. <laughs> completely. I yeah. would have just abandoned the Christian faith completely. One of those two things would have happened, and neither of those things is really preferable, to be honest. Um yeah. yeah, Velvet Elvis was like a life raft for me. Mm. I read it. I remember. I never, never forget. Two thousand five. I'd been. I was all over the place in terms of questions and doubts and stuff, and just thought I had to get on with it anyway. Um, this was how it was. I just had to get on with it. Um, thought, yeah, I, I can't have these questions. I can't have them. It's not, you know. Um, and I had them. Right. Since, I've had them since my mum had passed. Why, mm. you know, and um, and then I read Velvet Elvis, and I and I and I I I picked it up out of curiosity of just the title and and just the the, the splurge on the back. I'd never heard of Rob Bell, um, and then mm. I, I read, and but then I I sat and I read the book cover to cover in two hours. Wow! Uh, and I'd never read a book cover to cover in one sitting before. Um, and I read that book in two hours and I was like, it was like water. <laughs> it was like when you're in a desert, like, and then there's no water and then suddenly like there's, there's a mm. big well and it's real, you know, and it's like, oh, you know. And that's when I, my faith changed, you know. Um, that's when it shifted again. And I was like, okay, I can I can be this and still yeah, follow Jesus. You know, I can still, you know, this makes sense. Um, yeah, and so, and I've been on the journey ever since. So, I love that. I love that because it's similar to similar to my experience in that it dawned on me one day that even though I I felt like I couldn't pick up my old Bible because there was so much baggage and there was so much just every time I did I just felt the sense of being trapped and I didn't want to I didn't want to be anywhere near it. But then I realized that if I was reading my favorite authors, if I was reading Rob Bell or Glennon Doyle or Madeline Longle or Brene Brown or, or people who talk about these similar ideas, and sometimes they would quote passages from scripture in their writing. And what I realized was that if, 
if the person who was quoting it was a voice that I trusted, then I was totally fine with it. And I felt totally peaceful. And it was like, oh, okay. So when I would pick up the Bible in the past, I was hearing all of those old voices that I didn't trust anymore. And so I love what you're saying is talking about finding Rob Bell. It's like, this is a voice that I, I resonate with and I can trust. And it's like water in the desert. And it's amazing. Mm. Yeah. So what was that for you? I mean, how did that work out for you um, in terms of finding that, that release, that freedom? Spiritually? Mm. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm trying to think where to start. Hmm. Well, I guess I can, um, yeah. I mean, writing and reading my favorite authors, like that's always been the lifeline and kind of that, that grounding. But the first thing that occurred to me when you asked that is like, first I had to let myself get angry (laughs) and I had to let myself be upset by all the things that I was taught that turned out to be completely untrue. (laughs) So as an example, um, the church I grew up in was very much, you know, we are the only true church. Like we have the answers and other denominations are misguided. And, you know, they, if people are not saved, they're going to the lake of fire, which was like their version of hell. And, just a lot of very stressful things to, for any child to believe. Mm. And so I think I had to let myself get mad and mourn and grieve for the, all the years that I believed things that were so heavy and that were so scary. Like I can remember as an example, Mm. asking my mom, you know, very seriously, it's like, mom, you know, since dad doesn't usually come to church with us, Like, is he going to be in the world tomorrow with us? Which is there, it was my church's version of heaven. Um, Is he going to be saved? Basically, I was really concerned that my dad and my brother were not going to be saved. And she, you know, reassured me and I was just like, oh, honey, no, no. Like, God's got it covered and it's going to be okay. But I can remember carrying around that fear. And on one hand, it's like, that is so messed up. And I feel sad for anyone who has to go through that and walk around with the fear that like, if they don't convert people or if they don't, you know, get people into the right church, then like these people are doomed. (laughs) Um, But on the other hand, it's like, because I've been there, because I've been in that place, I know what that feels like. And I know what that looks like. And I know that that's not freedom. And so I have something really tangible to, compare it to, right? So it's like people who have never been captive don't appreciate what freedom looks like and what freedom feels like. And so now I have this this great appreciation for anyone who's writing and speaking and saying, you know, saying things like, we're all in, everybody's welcome. Kindness is what matters. How you treat people is what matters. How you care for each other is what matters. It's like, okay, that is a breath of fresh air. And that is something that I can, I can feel in my bones because I remember what the fear felt like. And so it helps me to, to contrast. And I, I feel like I have this good detection system now because I spent so long in that, in that legalistic way of thinking. But I will say one more thing of like, 
it's kind of ironic that when my younger brother, Willie, was diagnosed with autism, that kind of catalyzed a spiritual seeking for my mom. And that was what brought us to this church to, it was called the Worldwide Church of God. Um, that's what brought us there. And the thing was, though, that for me, as his sister, I was trying to follow all these rules and I was trying to do everything right. But there was always this teeny tiny part of me that could not completely buy into everything that the church was teaching. And I think that was because I was his sister. And I I always had in the back of my mind of like, well, if you have to do all this stuff to be saved and to be chosen, but like Willie can't do any of those things like without help, you know, he can't do those things independently. And I thought there must be an easier way to get to God, you know, like if he doesn't keep all of these incredibly detailed rules, like I can't believe that God would just abandon him. Like, because I know I love him and I wouldn't abandon him and God must love him more than even more than I do. Right. So I was kind of like, there has to be something else in this system that I'm not seeing um, because I always sort of refuse to believe that God wouldn't accept my dad or accept my brother mm-hmm. or accept these people that I loved. So they kept that, that question alive in my heart of like, there has to be more to this that I'm not understanding <laughs> because God's got to have a loophole in there somewhere for them. Hmm. Yeah, it's, from, it's interesting because it feels like it's through it's through what somebody would call imperfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You actually found a way to the to a deeper, wider understanding of the divine. You know, it it yeah. Through your brother's autism, that that yeah. was your route into a wider view of, of, of spirituality that was big, much bigger than you could ever have comprehended otherwise. Um, exactly. It's, it, you know, it's, it's really interesting how, how that, how that works out, isn't it? That, you know, that when everything works out, we, we don't question anything. Yeah. And when we don't yeah. grow, but when something's not right, we become curious and we want to grow and we want to learn. We want to understand, we want to, you know, so actually we end up benefiting. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's like even through, through the church experience, through growing up with Willie, it did, it gave me all of these questions that I would not have had otherwise. And obviously I can't, you know, get in a time machine and go back and see what, how it would have been different. But I know that that was all part of the journey. And I love this quote. It's um, Byron Katie. She's a spiritual teacher. And she talks about this idea that the only thing I know about my path is that I've had the perfect one for me. It's like, I, I have to believe this idea that everything that we face in our lives is here to teach us what we're supposed to learn and how we're supposed to grow and evolve. Mm. And that it's not going to look the same for everybody, obviously. But if you can find a way to look at your past and be like, oh, look, that was all leading somewhere. That wasn't pointless. None of that was futile. And none of that, none of that was, 
um, lost or wasted. I love that. Yeah, nothing is wasted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Um, that feels so much like my story. Um, hmm. Yeah. It's, it's uh, the kindred spirit thing, yeah, clearly. <laughs> so this is it, yeah. And we've had conversations outside this podcast about, you know, our stories and... Um, yeah, our backgrounds and, and stuff, and um, my next book's probably going to be a bit about my story. And yeah, the, the bottom line is that you, yeah, that you learn through the brokenness. Do you? It's through the imperfections that you find perfection. In a, yeah. in a sense, you know, um, that's the only way. The only way to grow, actually, like is through imperfection <laughs> um, exactly um, oh man so I think you're gonna love this story I um so when I I should preface it by saying growing up with my brother was relatively peaceful up until the point where he was about 15 or 16 mm-hmm. and then in a, a relatively significant percentage of young adult men with autism actually have really challenging behaviors around puberty and they think it's because of like the hormonal shifts and everything. Mm -hmm. So Willie was one of those people and that when he hit puberty, it was like, I I felt like I had lost the brother I grew up with. And Mm -hmm. instead he was just out of his mind. Like he was hurting himself. He was hurting everyone else in our family, he, you know, he would punch holes through walls. He would give himself black eyes. He was just really destructive. And this went on for years. Um, and Mm. it was just incredibly difficult to live with. And that I was only in it for a couple of years of the worst of it before I went away to college and to university and everything. Um, but our parents just, I don't know how they did it. It was it was so intense. And there were times when we weren't sure if he could live at home, if like, you know, if he needed to live in a hospital, it was just very serious. So anyway, I preface all, I say all of that to preface this story because I felt really afraid and helpless. And I felt like I, I had tried, but I didn't know how to help my own brother, but I thought, you know what, I believe in God. And I think that, you know, maybe I can somehow use this experience to help other people. And so when I graduated from college, instead of going into publishing, like I had originally thought I would do, I decided to go and live and work as a caregiver for adults with special needs Mm -hmm. and intellectual challenges, because I thought, well, maybe this will somehow kind of redeem my life experience. And maybe this will, maybe this will be something positive out of all the pain, you know? And of course, the irony of this is that like, I went trying to help other people and, you know, in, in some ways I did, but I think it helped me more than I knew. Like I felt like I had grace and healing through these people that I went to try and help. So anyway, that's a really long setup to the story, but the story is that I lived and worked in this home with these adults with special, special needs for two years And one of my housemates that I was assigned to work one-on-one with, um, he taught me so much. Oh, my goodness. And one day someone asked him, you know, what what does it mean to be human? What do you think that means? And 
That's a really big question for anybody. But he thought about it and he said, to be humble. I think to be human means to be humble. And I thought that was this really profound answer because the root words of human and humble are the same, like hummus, like from the earth. Mm. So I thought that's very, that's brilliant actually. But the person who was asking him kept going and took it a step further and said, well, but what does it mean to be humble? What does that even mean? And so my housemate thought about it and Keep in mind, this is, you know, this is an adult who needs help brushing his teeth. You know, he needs a lot of practical daily life supports here. And, but yet he's, he's incredibly insightful and just had, as I said, so much to teach. So what does it mean to be humble? Long, long pause. And then he says, you know, I don't know, but I think it helps not to be afraid of your faults. And I was like, what just happened? (laughs) My mind is exploding. (laughs) And I literally, I had this feeling of like, man, for two years, like I've been, I've been living here and like, it would have been worth it to me to spend two years in this job just to have that one moment when he said that, because I just felt like, oh my God, that's it. To be human and to be humble is to not be afraid of your faults. Yes. Like, bam. <laughs> so. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my word. That's yeah. profound. You know, right? And so this is around the time where I was applying to seminary because I didn't know what to do after L'Arche was the organization that I worked with. I didn't know what I was going to do after L'Arche, after caring for these adults with special needs. And so I figured, well, seminary sounds pretty cool. So I applied to Princeton and I got in, but then I realized something, which was, well, two things. It was like, number one, I want to be a writer more than anything. So maybe I should try and focus on that. And number two was, you know, I'm sure Princeton would be amazing. And I'm sure I would learn from incredible minds and just have a wonderful time. But I thought, I think I'm getting a really good theological education right where I am. You know, like, I think I'm actually learning a lot more from my housemates than I might in a seminary. So. Oh, wow. That's profound. I'm blown away by that. Yeah. I want to include that. (laughs) Such a great story. Thank you. Wow. Oh, man. Um, Yeah. Wow. To be humble is to be honest about our imperfections. Yep. Um, That's and of it. course it makes it makes perfect sense with the work that you're doing now that you know <laughs> talking about imperfection and um yeah that kind of thing it's just um there's such a symmetry there it's it, it's really amazing. Mm, yeah. What do you think are the roots of people's perfectionism? Why I mean, I have my own thoughts on this, but uh, on perfectionism. But what's mm-hmm. for you, someone who writes about it a lot? What what is what do you think is is the, is, the, is the 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 heart behind perfectionism? Yes, so many thoughts on this. Well, so I can quote two of my favorite writers. Liz Gilbert says that perfectionism is just fear in a fancy mink coat. 
Like it's just dressed up fear. And that makes a lot of sense to me (laughs) that when I'm being driven by perfection, it just means that I'm afraid of something and I haven't admitted what I'm afraid of yet. And Anne Lamott talks about perfectionism as the belief that if you hit all of the stepping stones in your life just right, then you won't have to die. And I love that too, because of course it's the same thing. It's like, if I just do this right, then I don't have to deal with what I'm afraid of, Mm. which is some kind of a death. It's either the death of your physical self or it's the death of an idea or a belief or a relationship. You know, it's that fear of facing up to a reality, really. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, I think for me, perfectionism is about, it's about trying to control and trying to manage everything so you don't have to look at your faults and your fears and all that stuff Mm. underneath. But, and I think it should be distinguished from striving for excellence because striving for excellence is a wonderful thing. But perfectionism is more like, I can't get it wrong. If I get it wrong, the world will end and I'll die, you know? Um, But actually what I, what I've come to learn is that when the worst happens and you do get it wrong and you do mess something up and something does die, even if it's just this idea that you had about yourself as this flawless person, Mm -hmm. if you let something die, then you come to realize, oh, wait, actually, it's my nature to rise again. It's my nature to Mm -hmm. come alive again. And so the, I guess the irony of perfectionism is that like, it's like playing a video game where you have immortality or you have plenty of lives left, but you're so scared of getting hurt by anything. And it's like, dude, it's okay. You, you know, the game has more lives for you. It's kind of like that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, like, you don't want to fall down. Because right. even though you could fall down and get up again. Right. It's yeah. like you don't have faith that you can get up again. I think yeah. that's what it's really about. You think one mistake is going to absolutely destroy you and that's the end of your life. You know? Exactly. Like, exactly. Well, I think we all make that mistake. Even when we've... I think even when we've been through painful stuff and come out and had resurrection in our own lives, we can still... Make yep. that mistake. <laughs> Cause Completely. Because I, I, I think, I'm, like, the last... I've gone through that that whole process in the last couple of years. Resurrect, and, like, you know, dealing with a lot of stuff from my past and then coming through and discovering resurrection is something real. Mm. And now I've done all of that, I'm coming through to another point where, with other, other issues, like, mm-hmm. less kind of core fundamental things but still important issues in like in my life where I am holding on to them because I don't believe that I there's, there's life beyond them even though they're yes. negative even though they're negative things like um negative habits or routines or whatever they are it's easy to hold on to them because you're scared of the good that might be on the other side and not just the bad. Mm-hmm. And 
and all of that's perfectionism and it's just yeah we need to let go of it we need to keep keep choosing to let go of it yeah yes and one of my one of my other favorite things that you reminded me of is this idea that in life and in a spiritual path it's like we think of change and growth as a straight line you know so we're starting out at point a and we're going to end at point z and it's going to be very linear and we're just going to make steady forward progress and it's like actually at least for me change looks more like a spiral so you start here and then you kind of wind around and you seem to encounter the exact same thing that you're like, well, didn't I already deal with this? Like, haven't I been here before? Didn't I learn this lesson already? And you have, but you're just coming at it at a slightly higher level mm. and it's moving like a spring. Like you are moving up and there is progress, but you're also re-encountering the same things over and over and over on like a deeper and deeper and deeper level, which yeah. is what you were saying of like, okay, I have to learn this in a different area of my life now. Yes, absolutely, yeah. I mean, the core thing, I think, that I've learned, that I, that maybe you don't need to keep relearning, is how to believe. Hmm. I think that's a, more, that's a deeper thing. I think that's a much deeper... Um, I don't want to call it issue, but it, it's, it's just deeper than anything else. I think, because that... It's yeah. one of those things that shifts every single other thing in your mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, I've been through that shift and it's, I'm still in that shift. And, but when you realize that you see everything differently, mm-hmm. it's like suddenly your life is a lot better and you're full of joy, but also everything's a lot worse. <laughs> Because you realise you kind of you not you're going to disagree with people who agree with you on a lot of things, mm-hmm. as well as just disagreeing with people that you always disagreed with. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> that because, is funny. You know, I like that. Um, yeah, that's that's a profound thing too. And again, it's all about letting go all the time and not being a perfectionist, as yeah. you say. Um, yeah. So, what's ahead for you? Um, like what what projects are you working on right now that you've got coming up yes well i'm working on two big projects right now thank you for asking um the first is a book which i've been working on for about three years now and it's autobiographical it's stories like the ones we've been sharing on this podcast stories of how I got into perfectionism and then how I started to recover from perfectionism and started to let go. So that, that is actually very happily, um, that I developed into a book proposal and I'm working with a literary agent right now to get that ready to pitch to publishers. So that's where we're at on that project. And fun fact, the agent I'm working with, her name is Angela Sheff from the Christopher Farabee Literary Agency, which is the same agency that represents Rob Bell, who essentially brought James and I together. And so, you know, that's kind of a cool connection and synchronicity. And then the second project is an interview series with, oh my goodness, we have some Olympic gold medalists, we have some New York Times bestsellers, we have a lot of 
exciting people on this. And it's called the confidence course. And that's coming out at the end of January of 2018. And it's free interview series. But the vision for that was I just wanted to interview some wise women and a couple wise men and talk to them about how do you have the confidence to go out into the world and live your dream and also fall on your face and pick yourself back up and keep trying. So those are the two projects in process. Mm. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to read that book and I'm so excited to listen to those interviews. Um, Thank you. Sound really, really, really great. Um, and where can people connect with you as well? Um, yes. Um, a wish come clear is my website. So just a wish come clear.com. Um, also on Facebook and on Twitter, just search a wish come clear and I will come up. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. Oh, you're welcome. This is really fun. This, as I was telling you before we started, we're recording this, you know, the week before Christmas when everything in the world is on our to-do list. So this is my oasis. This is my treat for the day. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And definitely we'll, def- we'll have you back more than, more than once. I think, I think. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. I look forward to it. So thanks for coming on and, um, hope you've all enjoyed listening to this as much as I've enjoyed doing this interview. So, um, take care everybody and we'll talk soon.